This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You're listening to the Fish Untamed Podcast, your home for fly fishing the backcountry. This is episode 56 with Alan Crater on superstition and wild places. Just to get started then, uh, before we get into the stories, I'd love to hear how you got your start in the outdoors and fishing. Yeah, I mean, my background in fishing is a little bit mixed. So I think, I mean, I've always had a love for outdoors. Uh, I grew up camping, you know, basically car camping with my parents and grandparents. And we always, you know, that was just something we did in the summer and in the fall. So I've just always loved being outdoors. Uh, I love to hunt as well. So I started hunting with my dad when I was 12 and have hunted ever since. And then we always fished. I mean, it was usually, you know, um, pan fishing, you know, kind of you know, we're chasing bluegills, we're chasing bass, maybe a little bit of pike, um, a lot of spin fishing. And then, um, I actually got into fly fishing more recently. Um, that was probably about eight or nine years ago. And my oldest son, who's now 21, wanted to learn how to fly fish. He was, I don't know, 13, 12 or 13 at the time. And he says, I, you know, I want to learn how to fly fish. And I didn't know anything about fly fishing. So I thought, that sounds cool. I don't know how to help you, but I will try to kind of support you in that, in that journey. Cause it looks awesome. And we happen to, we have a family cottage in Northern Michigan up in Baldwin, and it happens to be on really close to one of the, the most outstanding fisheries in Michigan on the Pier Marquette river. Um, people travel from all over to fish it, but it was, it was something I didn't really know much about. Cause that wasn't what my focus was. We always fished on the lake and I didn't really even realize this resource that was right in our backyard. So he wanted to learn how to fly fish. We took him out and bought him a combo kit and at the local fly shop and asked, you know, actually, we got his first kit off of Craigslist. You know, it was like $65 combo kit. We didn't even know what it did or what it was and went to the fly shop and grabbed a few things that they told us to and went out on the river and kind of flailed around. And I, I watched and he flailed and um, I ended up running into a friend at a trade show uh, for, for my day job. And she said, hey, you know, my my boyfriend um, is a football coach. He loves fly fishing. He's really good at teaching kids. We'd love to, you know, he'd love to show your son the ropes if, if you're okay with that. And they had a place kind of in the same area. So we went and met up with Matt and uh, he started showing my son, like kind of some of the basics. And I was always there just kind of watching and observing. And I thought, man, this looks really cool. I want to, I want to kind of join this journey. So um I ended up going out and buying some gear and, and then kind of going out with Matt and my son and then sometimes with just Matt or sometimes with just my son and and picked it up. And it I mean, I don't need to tell you, it's a really uh, a slippery slope when you get into fly fishing. Yeah. It's so addictive. I mean, 
it's bad. Right. So, um, that's, that's kind of how my journey into fly fishing started, but I've always been into, you know, backpacking too. So I've been backpacking since I was probably 18, kind of, uh, similar probably to your desire. Like car camping is cool. It's fun. You sit around the campfire and you're, you know, you're in a campground, but you're out, you're outdoors, but I wanted to just get away and see stuff that you couldn't see unless you put some miles on the boots. And, um, so started doing that uh, when I was 18 and, and never really looked back. And then when, when the fly fishing came into the picture, then it was my chance to kind of combine the two into, you know, kind of two passions in one. I, I have some regrets now looking back at some of the places I backpacked that I didn't have a rod with me. <laughs> I want to go back and make good on that because, you know, I was in some really fishy spots without a rod with me. And now I look back and think, oh, what a waste. So I assume you weren't carrying, uh, you said you had like fished before you started fly fishing and I assume you weren't carrying like a lightweight spin setup back into any of these places. No, I, some of my buddies did and I didn't. And I, partly I was just psycho about the weight and I didn't want to, I didn't want to drag it along. And then they're hooking up with fish and I'm like, man, this is a major miss on my part, but I never, I've actually trying to think, I don't think I've ever even done spin fishing on a backpacking trip. So it was always fly like once I get into fly fishing that fly rod went with me on every trip and it stays in my several of them stay in my car at all times just in case of an emergency right (laughs) (laughs) uh how did how did your son come across fly fishing and and decide he wanted to do it you know I'm not even sure I don't know I don't know what kind of uh ignited that itch in him I I really don't know I've actually never asked him that question I probably should it was just one of those things where my, my kids always I mean my kids had fishing poles in their hands since they could walk. So they were always into fishing. Um, but again, it was kind of like the fishing that I grew up with. It was panfish, and we were fishing off the dock or out of the fishing boat for bass and bluegill and walleye and pike. And um, I think he just wanted a, a different challenge. Maybe he, maybe he saw a river runs through it. Maybe, well, I don't know. I don't know how he... Uh, you don't know what he's doing he, in his free time. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, like what kind of lit that spark, but it I mean, it's interesting. We look back and kind of laugh about it because it's become a pretty substantial part of my life. And um, I look back and think, what if what if he never had gotten into that? Or what if I never joined him? Or what if we never met Matt? Like, what would my life today look like? Because fly fishing is such a huge part of what I spend my time and money and brain power on. So um, it's just weird to think of how those little those little things in life kind of can change your total trajectory. And then how about your other son? Cause I know that uh, some of the trips we'll be talking about are you and uh, your two sons. So did your other son kind of just join you guys at a, at a point? Yep. So he's, he's probably more of our spin fisherman. Like he loves to go chase bass. He, he loves to chase big pike, like big pike are kind of his, his jam. And um, he's always, he started going fly fishing with us. He kind of didn't love it. It was, he, he liked it, but he didn't love it. Um, I don't know if it was just too tranquil for him or not aggressive enough or whatever. So he kind of just stopped doing it for a little bit. And then he started to get back into it more recently. And then he went out to visit. So my oldest son moved to Montana in 2018 to go to school out in Montana. My younger son obviously was still at home. And um, last summer, my younger son went out and stayed with his brother for a week and and they fly fish really hard while he was out there and he had quite a bit of success. And I think that kind of rekindled that flame for him for like, you know, loving fly fishing. Um, I don't think my older son would even spin fish anymore. My younger son, well, he's, he, he's not fussy. Like he'll catch a fish anyway that, that it, that it's available to him. But um, so he kind of uh, had that week out there that rekindled that flame fished with me a little bit more heavily back in Michigan. And then this past summer, after he graduated high school, he moved out with his brother again, just kind of for, uh, it was supposed to be just for the summer and he was going to kind of have like a fun summer and they were going to fish and backpack and, and do all that. Now he's going to stay through the end of elk hunting season. And then he's going to come, come back to Michigan, but being out West really, I think kind of rekindled that fire for him for fly fishing. Yeah, I could see that. And, I obviously now that I, that I have a passion for it, I'll go do it anywhere for any fish, but I could kind of see that growing up in a place where maybe that's not like the dominant culture. And there's, there's kind of that romantic Western view of, you know, a 
someone casting a fly rod with mountains in the background that just seems like it fits. And I could see if that's not what you're doing, uh, you might feel like, ah, I don't, I don't really feel the connection to this. But then maybe when you come out there and suddenly put yourself in that position, how you kind of, I don't know, develop that, that burn. Like, I, okay, I kind of like this. I like the feeling of this. I, yeah, I think that's totally part of it. I mean, I think, you know, there's, there's a million quotes about, about setting being such a part of fly fishing, you know, and, and, you know, like trout don't live in ugly places, that kind of idea. So, I mean, even the places in Michigan are beautiful, but you kind of take for granted what's in your own backyard, but then you end up out, you know, out on the Madison or out on the Gallatin or somewhere out West. And like you said, you've got this backdrop of mountains and it's just this beautiful, beautiful water. The fish are plentiful. Um, all of a sudden, you know, it does take on that more romantic quality and you, you think, man, yeah, this is pretty, this is pretty cool. I could, I could keep doing this for a long time. So yeah, I think, I think you're totally right. Setting is such a huge part of, of why I love fly fishing. I think why a lot of people love fly fishing. Is it going off on that just as a, since we're going to be talking like mostly about kind of getting out in the backcountry, uh, what draws you to, to those areas? Is it just being away from people? Is it the views? Is it the, like, what, what is it? Or is it everything together? Yeah, that's such a tough question to answer. I think it's so many things. I mean, part of it is there's this, I don't know if it's just something that's innate in human nature, but to be, to be in a place where, you know, very few people have been, or to be able to have an opportunity to see something that, you know, you know, you're not going to be, um, you're not going to be able to see from that, that easy pull off, or you're not going to be able to see if you don't get a couple miles off the trail. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of like your own little secret or it's, it just feels more special because it's, it's so um, it, it's less touched, put it that way. There's very few places that are untouched, but you know, it's, it's much less touched. I think there is that, I don't want to sound antisocial, but I do, I do kind of like the solitude or, or being, you know, either being by myself or with a couple of close friends or with close family members or something about that too. And then there's just something that, you know, there's not really necessarily a true danger, but there's like this little bit of perception of danger that makes it more, that kind of heightens all the excitement um, too. So I think there, I think it's just a combination of so many things. Yeah. You know, something you just said made me think of something that I've never really considered before, but you, you mentioned kind of just, it, it feels like something that you have that maybe not a lot of people have had before. And um, I know, obviously for us, that is the experience of getting out somewhere far away that no one else, or it feels like no one else has been before. Yep. And I wonder if that's almost the same draw that people have for buying something that's really expensive or going to an exclusive event or something like that. It's obviously not like our realm in this case, but... I think there's just an innate human desire to have things that like not a lot of people can have and, and feel like you're kind of alone in that. And, you know, for, for those of us who can't afford the, the nicest stuff or get invited to the exclusive celebrity parties, you know, this is something that anybody can get that still feels like something that, you know, not a lot of people have had before, but it's, it's all on you to earn it and, and just get it. And there's, it's not limited necessarily by means or by who you know it but it's kind of that same drive to to have something that's your own that not everyone gets the chance to experience i think that's exactly it you know it sounds kind of selfish but there is like this weird kind of feeling of uh, exclusivity or even possession like you get to possess that place or that moment even though it's public land you kind of possess it maybe in a way that not any not everybody else either chooses to or can and yeah i mean i think it, i think it probably does kind of you know, whatever, stimulate the, the human nature in a way that's similar. I think you're totally right. So on this trip, um, I, I read briefly on your website about it, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to answer all my own questions <laughs> by just reading about it. So sure. um, tell me about uh, how you, how this trip beca- came to be, like how, how did the planning process go? I know this is with, with your son, so I assume they had a little bit of say in it too, but um, can I just, just talk me through how this trip came to be? Yeah, so the, the most recent trip um, was just actually a week or two ago, and, um, you know, my wife and I hit this weird empty nest stage, like, really quickly. So my older son had been gone. He's been off at college in Montana since 2018, so we kind of got used to that. But we had my younger son at home, um, and then we had our dog, and um, the younger son, you know, he's, Blake said he decided he wanted to move out to Montana for a while and and that was cool so then it got a little bit quieter and then we had the, we had the dog that that um for 13 and a half years that we had to put down and it got real quiet and um we kind of knew that was coming i knew i had a trip that was coming up for business purposes um 
you know, out in their general area. So I just kind of sent them a message and said, Hey, could you guys take a couple of days off, uh, turn it into a little bit more than a couple of days, but can you guys take a couple of days off of work and hang out with dad? And, and they were, they were pretty excited about it. We loved it. It's, it's just kind of the sweet spot for all of us where we really, we enjoy the outdoors so much. We enjoy the pursuit so much, but it really is one of those places where we really feel close to each other. So they made the time and um, I was able to kind of piggyback. So I, I flew out for my business trip to Idaho. They swung down and picked me up. And then, um, then I flew home back out of Montana. So I was able to kind of, I knew I was able to kind of have a little bit of cost savings there with the flight um, and, and it worked out for them. So that, that's kind of how it happened. And it was, the planning was really loose. And uh, we just said, you know, basically our, our group goal was we want to have an adventure that involves fishing and beyond that, it doesn't matter. And so they had a lot of kind of uh, local in, you know, Intel and insights that I don't have. So I just said, let's go, let's go do some stuff that you maybe haven't done before. Let's explore some new water. Let's find some new places, but let's do it together and, and make it kind of an adventure. And so how did you decide on a place to go? So again, it was, it was pretty loose. Um, to the point where my my oldest son and myself, to some extent, we're fairly type A and we like to have a fairly well-planned uh, agenda. It made us both a little anxious because we didn't know. And, and, you know, the other thing that was going on at the same time, and I'm sure you're experiencing it in Colorado, was just Montana's having crazy drought conditions and really incredible, um, incredibly bad heat. And so the rivers are in bad and in, in really bad shape. You know, uh, they're they're pulling off a lot of water for irrigation. Um, so water levels are low, water temperatures are high because of all the heat and the lack of rain. So um, some of some of our planning had to be a little bit fluid because stuff was starting to shut down. They were starting to shut down, especially like in the southwest part of Montana where they live, uh, which is which has a ton of really great water right there. Uh, really wasn't even an option for us. Those were on hoot owl hours to protect the fishing. Uh, some of them were shut down entirely. Um, so we knew we had to either get up into some alpine lakes or kind of get to some water that were, you know, more spring creek type water where we could, um, you know, have cooler water where it'd be safe to fish for the trout. So we, we only had those two things in mind. And then the boys had hiked up to this, this, uh, this lake up in the tobacco roots, right? Uh, I don't know, probably right at ice out. So still like, you know, going through some waist deep snow at the top and getting to this lake right at ice out. And they, they really did well. And they landed some gigantic cutthroat. I mean, they really hammered some fish. And so when they sent me the pics, I said, Hey, that maybe we should go back there and (laughs) make that at least part of the trip. And they, you know, they thought that was a good idea and it wasn't a bad hike. It was only like four miles. So we knew we could kind of knock that off real easy. So we knew that was going to be one piece of it. And then after that, it was just, um, some recommendations from some friends on some places we should check out. And then, uh, that all changed last minute. I actually, we we were leaving from the lake that we backpacked from and we were heading way to the Northwest corner. We're going to be way up, by like the Thompson River way up in that area. And we were cruising through Missoula or on our way through Missoula. And I texted a buddy that lives there that has a business there. And I said, Hey, you know, we're cruising through, you know, maybe we can say hi real quick. And so we stopped by his shop and we told him what our plans were. And he just said, no, man, that's not, you don't need to, don't, don't go to the Thompson. I'm going to send you a couple places that are kind of low key that not a lot of people know about. And he, I mean, he basically gave us some pretty serious intel on, in terms of some places to go where there weren't going to be a lot of people, but there were going to be a lot of fish. And so we, we kind of literally changed plans mid, mid trip and went with his recommendations and it turned out really well. Now, are you a a planner because you, you feel less stressed when you have kind of an itinerary or do you just love the planning process? Oh man, I, I think it's both. So, you know, what's, what's part of it is, you know, I, I own a business, uh, I'm a dad, I'm used to kind of, you know, making plans, right? Like that's kind of, that's kind of how my personality is. I like to have structure, but there's definitely part of like, to me, the planning process extends your trip a little bit, if that makes sense. You're shaking oh, yeah, your head. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think I know where you're, I think we probably come at this from the same place because, you know, if I can start 
planning maybe two or three months before a trip, it's almost like I'm, that's part of the trip a little bit. And I'm packing, maybe I start packing a little bit and I start researching and I got maps and I've, I've got books and it, it just kind of extends that whole experience just a little bit longer. Oh, I agree. That, that's what I was wondering, because you said sometimes you get a little stressed when it's not all planned out. And I figured that might be part of it, but that it wasn't all just, you know, this, I, I need to have it set out ahead of time where I, where I, you know, OCD kicks in and I need to know everything. Like I, I figured it might be that, that you just, it's fun to look at maps and oh, read up on places and see what people have caught where. And it's, I don't know, it, it does extend the trip a bit. Oh yeah, that's, it, it is actually in some ways, some of my favorite parts is just, you know, cause that anticipation is always so high and then you're, you know, you're kind of scouring maps and online sites and you're just checking different stuff out. And yeah, it just, it just builds that anticipation for sure. There's also, I think, a level of fun when you arrive somewhere and it's it's almost like a challenge to see how well you thought you knew it. Like, have you ever looked at a place, uh, you know, on satellite imagery and you're looking at Google Earth and pictures from it and you show up and you have this image in your mind of what it's going to look like and it's almost like oh wow this is exactly how I thought it was going to be like I I feel almost satisfied in that way or like whoa I had no idea it was going to be like this because it you know it didn't appear to me that way um it's like it's fun either way Uh, I've definitely had more of the latter like uh, not anything like what I thought it was but it's awesome in a totally different way so it's like a fun little it's like a surprise you know you unwrap present. It's not what you thought you were going to get, but it's something even better. Right. <laughs> I agree. So tell me, I guess, uh, get me started on the trip itself. Um, you know, how, how did it start out? Um, so I, we, we wrap, I was wrapping up kind of a, a project for scientific anglers in Idaho. So we were fishing on the Henry's Fork um, in that area with um, Jeff Courier for scientific anglers. We were filming and phot- photographing all that. So that was a total blast. You know, we were, we're hanging out with fishy people um, and then I was kind of stuck in that, like, uh, that, that part of Idaho. So I'm about four hours from the boys. They came down and, um, picked me up and we hopped in the car, went back to the apartment that they live in and kind of just crashed and, and, uh, started packing and getting ready for the next day. And then we headed out to the mountains. Um, and we had quite a, quite a drive to get to the place we were going and then quite a quite a drive to just get into the trailhead. Um, and then we went up to the lake. The lake was just, it was, it was kind of, I love backpacking. Um, and it was exactly what I needed. Um, I've been training decently hard because I'm, I'm elk hunting out with the boys this, this fall. Um, so I know I need to kind of work on my cardio and, and keep, keep going or I'm really going to be in trouble. But, um, this was a nice, easy one. It was, you know, four miles, mostly uphill. So it wasn't, bad I mean it took us you know under two hours but it was enough you know and it's an it's it was far enough in that it kept most people out of there and it was uh, I think we were going in on a Monday or Tuesday so it wasn't busy there were a few day hikers when we got there and they all cleared out so we literally had the entire lake to ourselves. um we just set up camp and uh I mean we we started fishing as soon as possible and um the cutthroat were were plentiful we didn't get quite we didn't get into quite as big a fish as they did at ice out, but we were getting into some really nice fish and I don't want to say easily, but frequently. And, uh, and then we, you know, we did all the, the backpacking stuff. So we, you know, we had, we had dinner and we had a couple pulls from the flask and we just started laughing and joking. And it, it, it just kind of, you know, just getting to the lake immediately kind of put me at in a different place. Um, I was feeling a little bit stressed coming off, you know, the stuff with the dog and, and work and not seeing the boys. And then just getting to that place already just kind of changed my mood. And then just sitting around, you know, eating, you know, crappy camp food and, and, uh, you know, having a few drinks with the kids and sharing stories was just like, it just kind of changed everything. And then the next morning we woke up and just started fishing pretty hard again and then um worked our way around and then we just we kind of motored out of there we had um we had all the stuff in the truck to go somewhere we just didn't know where that somewhere was going to be yet so we had i mean that the truck was just chock full so we had backpacking stuff we had car camping stuff we had all the fishing stuff but we knew we had decent food and beer back in the cooler at the truck so we made it back to the truck pretty quick uh had like a you know like a lunch and then we just got on the road and we were kind of making plans as we went, you know, we, like I said, we were planning on heading up towards the Thompson and in that area. And, um, 
our route took us through Missoula and that's when everything kind of changed when we talked to Dan. So uh, we kind of changed trajectory, went to a place where we could car, car camp, which um, is not my favorite, but it does have its, um, its, its advantages, a little more comfortable. Um, we can eat real food. We had a bigger stove. We could, you know, we were cooking brats and all kinds of food you don't always eat when you're backpacking. So, uh, we did that. We fished, uh, the body of water that was right in our backyard there for about three days. And it was, it's a phenomenal, it was a phenomenal fishery and I'm kind of sworn to secrecy on it. So I'm not going to talk about it, but it was beautiful and phenomenal fishing. And then there was an, one other additional spot that, uh, Dan had told us to go hit, and so we made a kind of a day trip to that spot and that was even more unreal in terms of fishing and then uh, came back to a kind of our, our quote unquote campsite. So it was just a, it was, it was a phenomenal time just in terms of the fishing, but also just the scenery, lots of like really diverse, you know, so you're in an Alpine Lake and then you're on a, this, this unbelievable river that has, you know, boulder fields and riffles and then big pools and, you know, a little bit of everything. And then we went to a totally different water system that felt totally different and really unique. So it was like three kind of very unique experiences wrapped into one trip um, with the common thread being camping outdoors with my boys and fishing. Do you have a preference in terms of like Alpine lakes versus rivers? Uh, You know, assuming they're all kind of remote and you, they're all kind of in their, in their prime. uh, Do you have a preference? I prefer moving water, um, if possible. Um, it's, I just, there's something about it I like more. I mean, the Alpine lakes are unreal and I've caught some unreal fish out of Alpine lakes, but it's just not my favorite style of fishing. And I was reading, I was reading a few things on your, on your page and, you know, you kind of talk about, well, you don't always have to bring the waders or the, or the boots. And, you know, sometimes you can, get in a little ways if you're just wearing sandals, but I always have this feeling when I'm fishing Alpine lakes, if I could just get out a little further, (laughs) I could get into the fish and, you know, still water fishing is just different. I like to have a little, just, I think the fishing is just a little different when you have moving water, you have to do things a little differently. You have to cast a little different. You have to mend, you have to, you just have to pay attention to different stuff. And it also kind of helps you. You can, you have a better idea of where the fish are going to be. You can tell where the pockets are. You can tell, you know, what's going to hold fish on a, on a lake. You know, yeah, you can work the shoreline, but it limits you. Sometimes you don't have room for a bat cast, or sometimes you can't get out quite as far as you'd like, or there's just, you know, there's, there's limitations in a river. I feel like you can get in it and be more intimate with it. Um, and I guess I prefer that, but they're both amazing. Like I, I have nothing bad to say about either of those options. <laughs> Yeah, I do. I do kind of agree that, you know, you show up at any small mountain stream and you can pretty quickly just figure out where the fish are going to be and, and access that. And lakes, even though I'm sure like I'm I'm probably not as well versed in lakes as I am in rivers, but uh, I feel I don't feel completely out of place. Like some people don't know where to even start with a lake. And I feel like I'm not quite that far back, but I do feel like lakes are more of like a, an individual basis. Like you show up at some and it seems really obvious what to do and you show up at others and you're like, I've tried everything and nothing's working. Um, and I just don't, I don't experience that as often on, uh, like the mountain streams. It's pretty straightforward every time. Um, and I'm impressed by people who can nail any lake. Yeah, it, I, I totally agree. I mean, I've actually been on trips. We, I was on a trip not too long ago to the Sawtooth Mountains in Idaho and we hit, oh, probably we hit probably six or seven different lakes on our backpacking trip. And there were some of them that were lights out. And there were some of them that looked exactly the same as the ones that were lights out that we didn't touch a fish. And I don't know if there weren't fish there or we just couldn't crack the code, but it was really surprising because all all the elements seemed basically the same and we couldn't catch a fish. And then you go to the next lake and you catch 30. And so it is a little bit of a weird you know, how do you crack the code and, and is it where the fish are holding? Is it that they're not there? Is it that, you know, you're not using the right stuff? I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, that's the other thing is I feel like for at least like not maybe not large rivers, but you can kind of assume, I mean, if it's a large river, you generally know if there's fish in it or not. Do people fish it or do they not? But sure. for small creeks, if you want to know if there's fish there, you can kind of just walk up it and see if you startle some fish and you're like, there they are. With uh, lakes, if you don't get eyes on a fish, it can be kind of maddening to think you know you look out and you see was that a rise or was that uh like a bug on the water or was that bubbles rising and 
you get tricked into having this, like, I don't know, like weird back and forth. With, like, I'm not sure if there's fish here or not. And you can spend a lot of time on a lake without ever actually setting eyes on a fish or any evidence of one. And they could be there. They could not be. I mean, they could just be down low and not feeding on the surface and you'd never know. Or they could be yeah. completely barren. <laughs> yeah. And I've hit, we've hit those barren lakes in, in uh, that trip on the sawtooths was really something. We started out in one area and the fishing was phenomenal. And we knew we wanted to get to this other lake that looked just incredible, but it, we had to go quite a ways to get to it. And it, I, either we were really off or that lake was barren because we just couldn't touch a fish. And I was, I was there for the backpacking part of things and I was enjoying the scenery, but I was really frustrated. And then we went up and over a saddle to some other lakes and then it just turned on again. And I almost had like the sigh of relief, like, oh my gosh, okay, it, it's not me. Or maybe it was, maybe it was me, but it, but I, uh, but I got over it. So you can still it catch was, fish. Yeah. Right. I can still catch fish. Like I thought maybe just like my ability to catch fish had just ended because the lake looked like it should have held tons of fish, but we didn't, we didn't see any, we didn't move any. And I thought, what is going on? Yeah. And it, I mean, I, especially because I, at least I don't know how it is in Montana, but a lot of the lakes in Colorado were barren before they were stocked. Uh, sure. It's easy to think that because all the all the rivers around here held cutthroats back in the day that they were also up in the lakes, but that just wasn't the case. Uh, a lot of them were completely empty. Um, and so you go up there now and it's easy to just assume that if it looks good, there's probably fish in there. And it's like, well, you know, not necessarily, it, you know, maybe it never had fish, maybe the winter killed who knows? Um, and you can have a lake that's connected to it that is full of fish. And you'd think, you know, they'd probably spread from one to the other, but it's just, it's not as, as obvious as you'd think it might be. Yeah, totally. I, I've definitely had that experience. hundred <laughs> percent. Uh, we had a, just a side tangent here. We had a, um, trip last year that went up. We, we swore we could see rises on this lake and it wasn't until at one point we saw what was making these rises it was like leeches coming up from the bottom and I don't I don't actually I don't know if it was like leeches or some small it almost looked like a tadpole which seemed odd um but these these little creatures were just slithering their way to the surface making contact with it and then diving back to the bottom and I have no idea like I've never seen it I've never seen it since I never saw it before that um but it was just these little leech tadpole creatures coming to the surface and breaking the surface and we're like that's what we've been fishing for for the past i don't know two hours here like thinking we're seeing rises <laughs> um, so it's like even if you think you see something your eyes might be deceiving you huh did you end up poking any fish out of there? nope nope and every other lake in the area we caught fish out of so i don't i i have no idea and i talked to somebody who had fished that lake a couple years prior and they were like oh yeah there were fish in there when we were there but they weren't hard to catch and so i'm like i don't know if they all died off because You'd think if they had been super easy to catch before, we would have, I mean, we had multiple people there fishing and no one even so much as saw a fish. So I don't, I don't know, but it's, that's just kind of like the fun of it is it can change so quickly that even if you hear something, your experience might be completely different once you get there, which is, which is kind of fun. Like you said, opening a present when you, when you get there, you could find anything. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's it. And you do your best to get, you know, get as much intel and research as you can ahead of time. And then you just, then it's just a matter of, you know, how it turns out. And it, that's the fun. Absolutely. So uh, most of the fish you were catching, were they all cutthroats or did you catch anything else? I saw some brown trout, I guess, in your uh, pictures. On the last trip? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, was, it was actually unreal. One, uh, the river that we fished kind of in the middle part of our, our trip, uh, we caught uh, cutties, we caught bows, we caught browns, we caught brookies, and we, we actually accidentally caught four bull trout. Oh, really? Is that what I saw? I thought maybe I saw something that looked almost like a splake. Was that a small bull trout? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they look in like a splake or they look real similar to like a lot of their markings are similar to a brookie, but you can definitely tell like their mouth is different. They just look a little, they look like a kind of a not quite right, brookie. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, that looks kind of like a brookie, but not quite. It looks a little, I don't know, more like a torpedo. And I was like, maybe yep. that's a splake, but I couldn't, I couldn't see it super clearly, so I wasn't sure. But okay, that answers that question. Yeah. So we got, and then you know, of course, the uh, in Montana, you can't ever get off a river without catching some whitefish. So we uh, got into a few of those too. But yeah, that, I mean, that fishery was unreal. It was just. I, I was actually surprised that it held that many different species and that they could kind of coexist and, 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 and healthy, all the populations of them seemed healthy. So it was pretty cool. Now I have to ask, are you a whitefish fan or do you hate it when you hook one? I hate it. Really? Uh, yeah. Oh man, I love whitefish. <laughs> really? Well, they fight. They'll give you a good fight. That's what, that's why I like them. I don't get into them that often. I, I guess I don't love most of the time when my 
whoever I'm fishing with gets into them, they're, they're fishing, you know, like an indicator or a dropper. I don't do, I don't love, I don't love that kind of fishing. Like I don't love fishing under an indicator and I don't really love even running it. I'll, I'll run a dropper, but it's not my favorite way to catch fish. I don't know why I prefer to either fish dry flies on top or big terrestrials, or I really love streamer fishing. So I don't usually get into the white fish. I did. I did catch a couple on the on a dry fly actually when we first got to Idaho for our scientific anglers trip. And it was the same thing when you're talking about the leeches, I could see these fish feeding and I, I was like, all right. And I knew this was a spot that held cutties and uh, I was fishing and I kept missing these fish. And I'm like, why do I keep missing these strikes? Well, then it turns out I hooked a couple and they're, you know, they're white fish and their mouths are tiny. So it's almost impossible for them to take the dry. But uh, yeah, I get mad when I catch them. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I, I really, there's two different camps on whitefish and I'm very pro whitefish. If I find out that there's whitefish in the river, I'm dredging the bottom. To really? Catch You're just going after, I mean, they're heavy and they fight. I That's mean, why I like them. About it. Yeah. I feel like when I've fished uh, areas that have whitefish and trout, when I catch a trout, I'm, it feels like I'm just pulling in like a stick. You know, it just, it just feels really? like, I'm, yeah, like I just want something that yanks back. And maybe that's having grown up with smallmouth bass and uh, being used to that and going to trout. I'm like, this thing's not putting up a big enough fight. But yeah, I'm just, I always am curious when people catch whitefish if they're uh, pro whitefish or anti whitefish. Oh, it's so funny because like when you first hook up, you know, my heart just jumps because if you, you know, it's, it feels very substantial, you know, like you hook up and you're like, oh, okay good fish. And then I'm thinking uh, my favorite trout are brown trout. So I'm always thinking, Oh yeah, big brown trout. And then I can tell after a couple minutes, like, no, that's not a, that's not a brown <laughs> trout. And then, then I just have like that. I open the present and I'm disappointed kind of feeling it sucks. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> white fish really. But I can see how they're, I mean, if you just kind of get that out of your head and then you just think about the, the fight, they're great fighters and, and your, your, you know, your comparison to smallies is great. We have a ton of smallmouth fisheries here and they're a blast to catch. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it might depend on whether, like, I think I value the, the fight itself and, uh, you know, the, I mean, I feel like I catch a lot of larger white fish. Like they, they just tend to get larger. Um, and I value that. Whereas I think a lot of people value, you know, the beauty of the trout, which yeah, you know, yeah. obviously if you're valuing beauty, white fish are going to be way at the bottom. So <laughs> right. that, that, yes, that's where they fall for me. <laughs> So, uh, was there any more to this trip or did you want to move on to, um, some of your, your previous trips to Wyoming or Idaho? I saw you had a couple, a whole bunch of lists on your website. So, um, yeah, we can talk about any of them. I mean, this trip was, I mean, I really summarized, you know, that trip pretty quickly, but, and it was, it was really, to be honest, if you boil it down, it was just a chance for me to have kind of an adventure with my kids. It really, I love catching fish. Don't, don't get me wrong. And I get frustrated if I'm not catching fish, but this, like the fishing a little bit, I want to say just a little bit didn't matter. It was really about like, okay, I'm going to be outdoors. I'm going to be in beautiful places and I'm going to be with my kids. And the rest of it is just gravy, you know, or, or icing on the cake. So um, I kind of blew through the fishing part of that pretty quick, but really the big thing for me was just having that time together with my boys. You know, I hadn't seen them both in a little while. It was great to catch up and, and just watch them be successful and, and have fun. I mean, they smoked me on the last river we went to. I, it was the best fishing we had on the whole trip and I caught one fish and they were absolutely, and it was my, and it was my style of fishing. It was streamers for brown trout and that's my favorite combination. So I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to run these boys <laughs> and I got destroyed and it was, it was really, I mean, it was pretty brutal, like to the point where it was becoming a joke, like, Hey, not another fish for me and take my picture while you just get there and, you know, sit there and get eaten by mosquitoes because you're not catching anything. It, I mean, I got, I got, I got run. I have to ask though, is it a, when that happens, is it a jealous moment or is it a proud dad moment or is it a little both. bit of both? Okay. Both. <laughs> I mean, you know, like I, at, at first I'm like, you know, I'm anytime someone that you're fishing with hooks, like I get excited when I, when someone I'm fishing with hooks up, like, I don't care if it's my fish or, or whose fish it is. But there's a little bit of like, I still have to kind of at least maintain this idea of alpha dog, even though I'm not anymore. And like when they are just running me, it's a little bit humiliating. And I get a little, I don't get mad about the fact that they're catching fish. I get mad about the fact that I'm not. Yeah, I think that's something that uh, everyone must experience. But it's like, yeah, I, I get excited when my friends hook fish, but I always get a little more excited when 
I'm also hooking fish throughout the day, yes. you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. That makes, that makes that pill a lot easier to swallow. And that, that night I was, I caught one fish and it was like a 13 inch brown trout and that, and that was my whole fish. And so, yeah, if I would have been catching fish, it would have been a little easier to swallow, but I wasn't in it. And I was, you know, have you ever fished? With, usually it works the other way for me. Like, um, I'll have someone fishing with me and they're like, well, I'm doing the same thing you are, but I'm not catching fish. And I'm like, ha ha, it's because I'm so good or whatever, which I'm not. I don't even know. What the, I have no idea what the difference is, but like they could have the same fly, be fishing it the same way. And for whatever reason, you're having a good night and you're catching the fish and they're not. Right. And you're chalking up to like fishiness. Like, well, I don't right. know. Sometimes you just, you're just in the zone. Yeah. Like, oh, you're just, you're just, some people are just fishy or it's my lucky hat or whatever. So I had the opposite experience. So I was, I was, do, I literally actually had given the streamer that my younger son was using to him. I'm like, Hey, try this. And he started slamming fish. So I'm like, well, I'm going to use the same thing. I'm putting it in the same spots. I'm doing the same stuff. I'm using the exact same streamer and I am not, and I'm not hooking anything. And he's, I mean, he's literally like cast after cast, just hooking fish. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go sit in the truck and cry for a little bit. But, <laughs> It wasn't that. It was so fun to watch, you know, um, that excitement because it was it was fun and it was like kind of nonstop action, especially right at the end. Um, it's fun, uh, you know, and I'm we have a pretty um, competitive but fun relationship, the boys and I. So like I'll dish it out and I got to take it when it's my turn to take it. And they were definitely giving it to me, but it, that's all part of the fun. Yeah, sometimes you dish it out a little too much when you're ahead and then uh, it comes yeah, back to bite you. <laughs> that definitely happened. <laughs> <laughs> you know another uh, quick story for you because you made me think of this when you said that you know you could set things up the exact same way um my my friend and I once were fishing in uh Wyoming uh, a couple years ago and it was it was like that and I was on your side where I like I was not catching anything and she was catching fish after fish after fish and I mimicked everything I was like okay how far is it from your indicator to your split yep. shot how far is it from your split shot to your first fly how far is it from that to your second fly and I mimicked the exact setup and I still could not catch anything and she was still pulling them out so I'm like well I'm gonna come up to the hole you're in and see if I can do it there still couldn't catch anything and I'm like let's switch rods here we switched <laughs> rods and I started hooking up on her oh, rod really? with the exact same setup and the only difference was that I had a pink indicator on and she had a white indicator and since then I've thrown away all my colored indicators because I'm like superstitious now that uh they can see it and I refuse to fish with a colored indicator isn't that funny so I think there's so many, there's so many parts of that. Like how, how wild is that story? Like that, did you try putting her indicator on your rod just to see like it? No, the, we just switched rods. And when she stopped catching fish and I started catching fish just from switching rods that were set up the exact same way, I was like, something. If she wasn't catching anything on your rod. Right. Yeah. It just switched. And I was like, something, something's going on with this rod. It's either the rod is lucky or it, the only difference was that she had a, a white indicator on and I, now I'm superstitious. Like I will not throw a pink indicator or like any color because I'm just that, that memory is just burned in my mind. That's so hilarious. I, so I'm crazy superstitious. So, which is funny because you'll have like one experience like that. And now you're like, okay, I'm done with all colored indicators forever. Like yep. they, you chalk it up to that. And now you're like white indicator, lucky, like for right. sure. Even, even if you were to ask me like logically, do fish really notice that there's a colored indicator and not eat your nymph that's like feet below that? Like I would say, no, I don't actually think that they're, they care about what's on the surface when they're eating at the bottom. But you know, it just, it's really hard to go back on a story that you experienced yourself. Um, and so, you know, now it, even, even if it's just a placebo effect of, I feel like this is going to work yep. better because I'm not using a pink indicator, maybe I'll yep. fish it better. You know, they yep. talk about like, feeling having confidence in your fly like having confidence in the color of your indicator it might might make a difference i think that is a hundred percent a thing like i believe in that completely like i will down to like i will wear the same clothing or the same whatever i will do everything if i have a if i have a lights out day i will try to repeat everything exactly the same and it doesn't always work but in my mind it in my mind it's going to so you already start out like in a more optimistic you know confident way but it's it is so hilarious it's so hilarious to the crazy the superstitious things that fishermen do i think that's so funny about the indicator I, and i and i would 100 percent do the exact same thing <laughs> well next time your sons are out fishing you instead of just setting up the same way you should offer to switch rods and see if it helps <laughs> it's so funny my younger son was being stubborn on the trip so he broke off and he was being this was on uh the second river that we fished, he didn't do as well on that river. And that's where I got a little bit full of myself. And then I paid for it at the end, but 
he broke off and he was feeling kind of crabby and he wasn't really moving any fish. And I said, well, you know, I've got a, I've got all kinds of stuff here. What do you want? Let me just tie, you know, just pick something out and tie it, you know, tie something else on. And he's like, no, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm, he's just being crabby. He wanted to be done fishing kind of. I said, well, here, how about you just fish my rod and I'll hang on to your rod and that way you don't have to be done fishing. So he started fishing my rod. And while, while I was holding his rod, that's when I tied the streamer that he just went lights out on. And I tied that on and I started fishing it. And he's like, well, what are you doing? And I said, well, I don't want to just stand here and not fish. So I just put something on. And so that was my kind of like sneaky dad way of getting him back fishing again. And then it like totally backfired on me. And I ended up giving him the lucky fly that went lights out on the next spot. <laughs> But yeah, it's like, I don't know, it, it's, there's so many funny, quirky, nuanced things. It, it, your, um, your indicator story, though, actually reminded me of, um, so we were fishing uh, with scientific anglers again, we were fishing out with um, Landon Meyer out in, in Colorado. And we're fishing some pretty technical water um, with some pretty spooky fish. And they're fishing, for the most part, subsurface. And he wouldn't, it would basically be what you'd call indie fishing, but he wouldn't use an indicator. He would use like a size 14 or 16, like BWO, knowing that you're not going to hit, get a hit on the top fly. But that is literally what he was using as his indicator because the fish would spook at even like, he had some tiny indicators and he just went, he wouldn't even fish those. He would use like this really tiny dry fly as an indicator just because of that that reason of spooking the fish and then they're catching stuff on i mean i couldn't even it was like size 22 or size 24 uh tiny little nymphs that um so i mean in some really technical circumstances it probably does affect it but i'm with you like does it really matter i don't know yeah i feel like i i assume i know roughly where you're talking about fishing with him um and from what I've heard, it might actually matter in a place like that. Yeah. But where we were fishing, I would not expect it to matter. Um, I wouldn't really call it a technical fishery. Uh, we went there. We went back there uh, a couple of months ago and just killed it on like any fly you're willing to throw. It's it's not the uh, size 24 nymph or bust type of water. Um, and it, in this way, I think it's just it's just a confidence thing at this point. And you know, like yep. most of the places I fish, I don't actually think the indicator color would matter. Uh, it's just like you said, you wear, you catch a fish with your lucky hat on, you want to, you don't want to potentially make your odds worse by not wearing that hat. You know, I mean, exactly. you got to put everything in your favor. <laughs> uh, exactly it. And I mean, I do, I do put some, some credence to the confidence fly thing. I mean, sometimes I'm matching the hatch. A lot of the time I'm just picking a fly that when I cast it out, I'm like, fish love this fly. You know, like, yep. I don't, I don't know if these fish do, but I, in general, I know fish love this fly. And so I'm going to be fishing it with confidence. I'm going to fish it well. Um, and I think that that's, I mean, there's something to be said about if I think that I catch fish when I wear this shirt, then, you know, I wear this shirt and I'm going out expecting to catch fish and it, go, it usually goes well. Yeah, hundred percent. I could not agree more. Some of my friends think I'm crazy and some of my friends know that I'm right. So, <laughs> I mean, there's people who don't say, say they don't believe in superstition, but then I'm pretty sure if they had one of these experiences, they'd probably be like, well, you know, <laughs> you don't want to stack the odds against yourself. No, and I, I mean, I'll, I'll share one quick story, and I don't mean to derail us on this. Oh, no, please do. <laughs> uh, so I had a, I had a buddy that um, we went fishing on, on the Pier Marquette River, the river that's kind of uh, my home water. And um, we it was kind of uh, like September-ish, so we're getting some, you know, kind of that pre-spawn fall browns. But we also are connected to the Great Lakes, so we get a salmon and steelhead run um, that come up into the river as well. We weren't chasing the salmon. We were really there chasing kind of chasing big brown trout, but we were streamer fishing. And um, he let me borrow his rod and um, I was fishing and I was just like, I couldn't not, I couldn't not catch fish with it. And I just had a day and you know, the, the, this river is like one of those really hot and cold rivers. Like you're either going to have a day or you're going to get blanked. You know, there's not a lot of in between. There's not a lot of middle ground on this river. And I think it was just that the stars aligned and everything was kind of right that day. But I literally, and I'm not kidding, I went out and bought that rod, that reel, that line, and those flies, um, like the next day. Because I was convinced that it was that, you know, it was, it had to be, it just like, you know, just like you switching rods with your friends. Like I was convinced that it was that setup that made that day be so successful. So I went and bought I bought everything exactly the way he had it and it didn't necessarily pan out, but I felt a little bit 
I gave myself an advantage. I I never had, I never was able to replicate that day, but it, um, at least I always felt like I had the potential to. Well, and I, I feel like you must've had this too. I mean, even maybe an example would be this trip with your sons, but, um, there's days where like me and my friends, I would consider most of us to be on relatively the same skill level. You know, no one's blowing everyone else out of the water, but you go out and someone just has a really good day, you know, and it's, you might all be fishing the same thing, but someone's just like we talked about earlier, just has that fishiness that day where they're just on fire and you might be doing the same thing or so it seems, but, and you're just not. And then it'll switch the next time where maybe you're on fire and your friend just can't land a fish to save their life. And, you know, it just makes you wonder if there is some sort of factor that's outside the, you know, the realm of reality or science or something like that. You feel like it should be such a, a process of you just figure it out and then it works. And then you just see things that make you think there's got to be something deeper that we can't really sense, but it's just there. Um, and yeah, I mean, maybe that's, that causes your sons to outfish you because it's just, I mean, that must be what it is. That's the only reason they outfished you. It's just, they had something that day. <laughs> they, I don't know. They have it a lot of days. They're both, they're both really fishy. Um, they're both really fishy. There's very few days where I outfish them. That's that. Uh, so I wish like every now and then it would balance out. And I did, there was a little bit on this trip, but, um, and the suckers are fishy. And there's just people like that too. I mean, yeah. people who you just feel like you, you show up and you're like, they're going to outfish me like five to one and there's nothing I can do about it. It's just yep. how it is. Yep. And you just go enjoy it with them. Right. <laughs> So um, I guess uh, getting back onto your trips, um, in addition to, to this one, do you have any others that stand out uh, maybe in, you know, since this one went, it seems like it went pretty well, like you kind of got what you wanted out of it, both fish wise and just, you know, maybe spiritually, if you will. Yeah. Um, do you have any that have almost uh, like a, on the opposite side of the spectrum where you had a bunch of mishaps or something just went wrong or, you, you know, you couldn't get anything to go right? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple that come to mind. Neither, they're both, they were both backpacking trips, but neither of them really involved fishing. Um, They were kind of before I had incorporated the two together. Um, And I can share those if they're relevant, but yeah. So one was actually my very first, what I would call real backpacking trip. And that I went with a a buddy of mine and my wife's cousin. So two buddies of mine. um, And we were going to drive from Grand Rapids, Michigan out to Colorado and we were going to hike in Rocky Mountain National Park. Like this was our first out west, you know, we're going to hike in the mountains kind of backpacking trip. And we didn't really know anything about anything. So we had backpacks, we had, you know, stoves and tent and sleeping bag. We kind of had the stuff we thought we needed. But I mean, I was like, we were wearing jeans and like we were, we just had stuff that wasn't quite it, you know, it wasn't really appropriate for the situation. We also went in June. So there was a ton of snow. Uh, we drove out there. We, we drove out actually all the entire way in a, a Ford Ranger that, that had bucket seats. And the guy that wanted to drive the entire time is like five, seven, five, eight. And my buddy Tyler and I are like six, one, six, two. But if wherever he needed the seat is where we had to be in the seat. So we're kind of like smushed in the front of this tiny ass Ford ranger driving 24 hours out to rocky mountain national park we didn't know anything about getting acclimated anything we went and we got out of the truck we went and had a huge breakfast and we motored up the hills and um we didn't realize oh we're gonna have a we're gonna have snow to deal with and oh there's gonna be a lot of lightning and possibly some crazy weather and you need you know certain equipment to deal with that but we got uh i mean my one one of my buddies ended up with really bad altitude sickness because we just went, we just gained so much elevation so quickly that it messed his system up and we were in a tiny tent. So I always joke when, if someone says it's a three person backpacking tent, that really means a two person tent, unless you're really comfortable with the people you're with. And uh, it rained and rained and rained and rained. Like it, it felt like it never stopped raining and then it would kind of get sunny for a little bit but we were stuck inside this tent. My one buddy's sick. We're just kind of miserable. We decide we've kind of had it. And so we're going to actually hike out early and we go to hike out and I'm wearing blue jeans, which is the dumbest possible thing you could wear back in like a cotton shirt. And we're hiking out. We're, we're kind of right on the continental divide and um, a really bad storm blows in. And so it's thunder, lightning, hail. And we're kind of like, right in the you know we're above tree line we're in a really exposed area and we don't really have anywhere to, to 
to get out of it. It's just like, you're just kind of in it. And, you know, we've got metal frame packs on and one of my buddies has a fishing pole sticking out, sticking out of it. And there's lightning coming down everywhere around us. The clouds were literally like, they almost felt like you could have reached up and touched them. They were that close. And every time it would thunder, it would shake your body. Like you just felt incredibly small and incredibly vulnerable at the time, which is a, in, in some ways a really cool feeling, but it sucked so bad. I mean, we were soaked. We were getting pelted by hail. My jeans got so wet and so heavy that they were like falling off of my body and just chafing my legs and everything was just, just miserable. And then we, then we had to get in a car and drive home. And we, we had spent so much time in that stupid car and that, that, rainy tent together that we are kind of sick of each other and then we had to ride for 24 hours in a car back home like kind of sopping wet ornery and and not in a good way so that was that was my first kind of real backpacking trip and somehow that it that like sparked a love of wanting to do it more and more but when I look back at it it was so damn miserable like it but it was memorable like it was memorable but it was miserable yeah I'm surprised that you still want to go after that (laughs) Yeah, I don't I don't know. Maybe I'm just a glutton for punishment. But you know, there was there was a lot of fun things about it too. We, you know, we we rode our pack. We had to get to the bottom of this basin to get uh to the cross country zone that we were supposed to be in. And you know, you have to give kind of the park service a general area, like we're gonna be in this general area. And so we just hopped on our backpacks and slid probably a thousand vertical feet down a snow field. And we did some funny haha stuff that you look back at now and think, man, it was really stupid. But it was, um, it was fun and we laugh about it and, you know, and it, maybe it, maybe it's one of those things where you look back at it with a little bit of rose colored glasses and, and remember the good stuff and forget just how miserable and how much we hated each other. So that was kind of, that was one of them. Um, later in, later in life, I, I decided I wanted to do a, a solo backpacking trip. So I've never, I'd always gone with a buddy or two or something like that. So I wanted to do a solo trip and I went to Oregon and, uh, was hiking around Mount Jefferson and I had kind of planned it all out and this whole thing. And it was in, I like to hike in September. It's one of my favorite times of year to be out for, um, you know, the bugs are usually gone or less. Uh, the people are usually gone or less. It's not blazing hot. So you're not just, you know, sweating your guts out when you're hiking. So I just, I really like September. Um, but September, like, I mean, any month in the mountains, but September can be, you know, kind of one of those transitional months. So I backpacked in, started to get up into elevation. It started snowing and I started out at the bottom. I was in shorts and a t-shirt. It was warm. And as I got up into elevation, I had an idea of kind of where I needed to get for the night. And there was kind of a lake area I wanted to get to and set up camp. And it basically turned into a whiteout blizzard and I lost the trail. My compass stopped working. I had a, I had a GPS with me. So this is like how long ago it was. I had a compass, right. And, and I also had a GPS. This is before, like you had cell phones that had all these wonderful apps on them. So I had a GPS, the batteries were dead. So I had no way to understand what direction I was going. It was complete. It was like basically a complete whiteout, like blizzard. I don't know where I am. I don't know where I can't even tell what is what, like, I don't know what directions, what I don't, I can't see in front of me. So finally I kind of got to the point where I said, well, I just need to stop, set up camp and just kind of hunker down. And, um, I realized how much it kind of sucks to camp by yourself. I mean, there's something cool about it, but like, first I had to set up the tent by myself. Like, okay, that's kind of a pain. Then I, I realized, well, I'm pretty low on water. I need to go back a mile to where the last water that I saw was and try to find that and filter some water by myself. And then I have to go back to camp and I have to try to cook my food by myself. And then when I'm done with that, I have to put everything in the pack and try to hang the food to keep it away from bears and other wildlife myself. And you just realize like, man, you know, if I had someone else with me, I could have set that tent up really quick and I could have gone and filtered water while they were fixing dinner and then cleaning up. And it's just, you know, there was just a lot. So I was like, man, this is, this is really tough. And I was kind of shook up like that. I didn't know where I was, but I was, I, the whole thing just kind of shook me. Um, I finally got all that done, went to bed for the night, woke up in the, and then I could hear, I was kind of a little bit under some, some pine trees and I could hear like big clumps of stuff on my tent all night. And I just like, I just tried to sleep. I was miserable. I was cold. 
I woke up in the morning and all the snow was still there, but the the sky had kind of opened up and it was bright and brilliant. And I ended up being like actually really close to where I was trying to get to. There's a beautiful lake that I can see now, like off this way, right in front of me is Mount Jefferson, like in all its glory. And it was beautiful the next morning, but I hiked out. I was like, that was it. I'm good. I hiked out. I rented a condo on the beach and I stayed in the <laughs> condo for three days and I had the, the Oregon beach experience. Cause I was, it, it kind of shook me up and I have, I've never, I've never solo hiked since then. I mean, I know I could, I just don't, I didn't really love it. So those were two like kind of experiences that didn't go well. I had another one in New Hampshire. We were backpacking in the white mountains in New Hampshire and I don't know if you've ever hiked in the East. I mean, you're from Pennsylvania. Have you ever been to like New Hampshire or any of those? I haven't. Oh my goodness. I'll tell you like hiking in Montana or Wyoming or Colorado or any of those places has nothing on New Hampshire. That is no joke. They don't really have where we went. They didn't really have trails. They kind of have, you're kind of on granite the whole time. And so like, okay, here's a little trail. And then you have to kind of go up like a 10 foot granite wall. Like you just have to go up it. That's how you, that's the direction you need to go. And it rained and it, there was a hurricane. This was in September again, a hurricane that had worked itself up the coast and kind of parked right over top of us. So it wasn't like pouring, but it was just never ending wetness. Like you couldn't escape being wet. You were just wet all the time and trying to climb up the, the granite or go on some of these things with being soaking wet they were so slippery it was so hard it was that was probably the hardest backpacking experience of my life which i which totally surprised me because i'm like oh what are you know mountains out east whatever these are baby mountains they were they were tough they were really tough yeah i've i've heard that about the east the eastern mountains um particularly like the northeastern uh i I don't know like what all states it covers but i mean there's still tree line there's still ways to get above and and uh mount washington you know has like the highest wind highest recorded wind speed and it's like i guess the only thing that we have on them in terms of difficulty is that you know we don't have oxygen at as much oxygen up there so you can get like the altitude sickness and and barely be able to breathe which that's not the problem when when the mountain is like five thousand feet off sea level i mean that's what we are at denver so you're not experiencing that but i've heard just the exposure and the weather um that out there can be just as bad if not worse than here yeah well and that's and it was we were doing the presidential range so that 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 summit that i was talking about was mount mount washington which does get in crazy insane kind of weather but what was really disappointing about mount washington is we put in incredible hard grueling work to summit it and then we get to the top and there's like a little restaurant and a tourist shop and a little train that comes to the top and i'm like are you freaking kidding me? Like we did all this work to get to the top and there's like a little restaurant. I was so disappointed. Like yeah. it just took all the wind out of my sails right there. Yeah. We've got some of those here on some of the 14ers too, uh, like Pike's Peak. You yep. know, I'm sure Pike's Peak is known as being one of the harder hikes, but you could also take a train to the top. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, once I got there and saw what it was, I'm like, I should have just taken the train. I was so disappointed. Um, but yeah, those are three that that stand out as being, you know, a little bit miserable, you know, especially weather, you know, weather wise, but there's always, you know, there's always parts of those that you remember fondly, but it's usually in hindsight. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I, I almost wouldn't want all of my trips to go perfectly as planned. Um, and with minor mishaps, it can just be fun even in the moment, but with stuff like that, yeah, it's, it's usually like at the, at the time you're really wishing it didn't happen, but as long as you live to tell the tale, then it becomes kind of a fun story after the fact, but it's not like you really want to make more of those if it, yes. if it means, you know, ruining your trip. So yeah, exactly. Like they, they, they're fun stories and you, you have good memories with the people that you were with, if you were with other people and you can kind of laugh and joke about it in hindsight, but at the time it can be pretty miserable. Absolutely. Well, Alan, uh, where can people find you if they want to come visit your blog or if they want to shoot you an email or something? Where can where can people reach out? Sure. Um, so I'm on Instagram at Alan Outside. Um, my website is alanoutside.com, and that's where I have a lot of stories. I do talk about a lot of the other trips that we didn't have time to get to. So, um, you know, there's trips in uh, Wyoming to the Wind River Range. There's a couple of those in there. Um, there's uh, trips to the Sawtooths um, in there. I'm trying to remember there's some uh canada backcountry um uh, pike fishing in there i don't i don't remember there's there's several in mixed in there if you dig a little bit 
and there's a few tips uh, in there too. I know you talk, you're kind of big on that um, on your on your site as well in terms of hey, here's what you should pack or here's some things to plan for. We've got some of that information on the site too. Um, but yeah, that's that's probably the best place to kind of check stuff out and uh, read maybe some of the other stories or get some tips. Yeah, it sounds like uh, with I feel like when people when people first get started with backcountry fishing, like if they're staying overnight, it can be a little daunting. So I think having some resources like that for people who've done it and been like, hey, I've tried this, this worked, this didn't, can be can be really helpful. So um, I'm sure people will be able to check that out and get some resources there. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, um, thanks so much for coming on. This is a lot of fun, and you know, it's good to hear that someone else has you know had the good times and the bad, and, <laughs> and maybe had a little superstition along the way. <laughs> Yeah, I 100% believe in superstition and yeah, you know, the good times or the bad times maybe make the good times that much sweeter and I love, I I loved your, I love the indicator story that's so hilarious and it it hits home so true. Yep. Well, I appreciate it and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, Don't forget to head over to the website, fishuntamed.com for all episodes and show notes. And also, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. That'll get my episodes delivered straight to your phone. And also, if you have not yet, please consider going over to Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating or review. That's very helpful for me, and I'd greatly appreciate it. Um, Other than that, thank you guys again for listening, and I will be back in two weeks. Bye, everybody.